for me, that was a moment where I was like, oh, like I can be an entrepreneur and really lean into community and invest in community and tie my passion to my uh, ambition. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is one of the most well-known people in the community industry, David Spinks. David is the co-founder of CMX, VP of Community at Bevy, host of Masters of Community podcast, and the author of The Business of Belonging. CMX is the world's largest network for community professionals. Over 25,000 community professionals come to CMX for training, research, events, and community. In 2019, CMX was acquired by Bevy, which is an enterprise software platform that powers community-driven events and virtual conferences. In this episode, David and I chat about his journey of building CMX, how to turn an audience into a community, the future of the community industry, and so much more. So let's jump right into it. Hey, David, welcome to Create Community. Thanks for having me. I am so excited for this interview. It's been a long time coming. I started this podcast over a year ago, and you were one of the first people that I reached out to have on this podcast. A year later, we're actually working together now, and I feel like so much has changed in in both of our lives, both of our podcasts, and uh, the community industry in general. So I feel like this is the perfect time for this interview, and I'm so, so excited to finally have you on. Yeah, I love it. I'm glad. Glad we could finally get on it together. Awesome, David. So to jump into it, I would love to sort of learn about your early journey and how you became a community builder. I think when people think of community, you're sort of a name that that jumps to mind for a lot of people. You're really like synonymous with it. The community that you've built, CMX, is, is synonymous with it as well. But I'm really curious how you first even got into the industry. So let's go all the way back to high school. What were you like in high school growing up? Like, what were some of your interests? And how did you find your sense of belonging at an early age? Yeah, so my journey with community, I mean, you could go all the way back to when I was born. You know, my, my both my parents were immigrants. And uh, my mom's from Israel. My dad was from Ireland, uh, moved to England, and then grew up there, moved to Israel, met my mom. They moved to New York, and I was born a year later. And so when I was born, when I came into the world, we didn't have a very strong established community around us. We didn't have a lot of family. Uh, We didn't have an established network of friends. We weren't ingrained in the culture. And so we were a little different. And to grow up in that setting, belonging and connection didn't come naturally to me at first. It felt hard. Uh, It felt like I wasn't always included. I wasn't the same as the people around me. And so as I grew up, um, I was still a very social person and I loved getting to know people. I prided myself on like connecting between different groups and getting to know lots of different people. Uh, When I would struggle to find connection in person in in my school or locally as I was getting older and, you know, social drama starts to come into our lives as we become teenagers, I turned to video games and I, I became very, very active with a game called Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4, which many people have played. I played 
a lot to the extent that I became one of the top players in the world on the game, started one of the top clans in the game, and then we started a forum and a website for our clan that became one of the most popular forums at the time for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4. And so that, that was kind of my first experience launching a community um, and running it and managing it. And I was, you know, 14 at the time, still going to middle school. And then it kind of just, you know, I became pretty passionate about how the internet could connect people, how technology could connect people. Moving into high school, I had a little bit of my rebellious phase. I did find community in person and I found it in some pretty kind of obscure worlds like... Uh, there was like an arcade community that I used to be, uh, a group of people. We used to go play Pump It Up. I don't know if you know Pump It Up. It's yeah. like DDR, the dance game. And then I transitioned and I got into the hardcore music scene. That was a wild community of people who were really passionate about that music, which was very obscure music. And while the music itself was very angry in the hardcore scene, it's kind of like metal, you know, names of bands were like Misery Signals and Barrier Dead and Remembering Never. But the people in it were actually super supportive and kind and welcoming and passionate. And uh, I really did find a very deep sense of community in, in that in that scene. So what did you end up studying in post-secondary? In my senior year of high school, I guess I kind of leveled out a little bit in terms of the scenes that I was engaging with. I ended up joining Model Congress, really loved debating. And, and for a while, that made me think that I would want to go into a, a career in political science. And so I went to school, a school called SUNY Geneseo. It's a very small school in upstate New York, but a very good school. Uh, everyone in New York who grew up in New York would know it. Everyone who grew up outside of New York has no idea what it is. So <laughs> didn't help much from a reputation standpoint, but it was a very good school. So I went to school with that intention, um, quickly found that, you know, the, the fun, playful model Congress form of debate was not what showed up in college. And I really didn't like a lot of the people in, in that department because I don't know, it just felt like people love to hear themselves talk and, um, were very opinionated and it, it was like a lot of ego in it. And it, that element of things just wasn't really resonating with me. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do right away, but I had always, since I was a little kid, seen myself in the future as being entrepreneurial and, and had kind of a vision for myself of, you know, building businesses, being an inventor, creating things and, and building a reputation as, as like a business leader. It's just kind of like an aspiration I had for myself. And so I ended up joining the business administration department in the college and, and started studying business and and that's where I first started connecting my passion for online community and social media to uh, the world of business. That's really interesting. Actually, a lot of the guests that I've had on the podcast um, studied business as well and found that it kind of opened the door to community. Same with myself as well. I did, I did business school for university. So you mentioned that you were really entrepreneurial. What was uh, the first uh, sort of like company or startup that you got started with? Even in college, I already started kind of just like creating things. Um, I joined business administration, but uh, it was still very traditional, especially in the marketing department, what they were teaching. They're teaching like the traditional marketing mix. And I had to take a class in assembly line management and just like things that I was like, this is not what I want to do. Um, and yet I was seeing this kind of like what I was perceiving as a social revolution happening online. And I remember reading a book called Groundswell by Charlene Lee. And 
it talked all about how businesses could tap into this kind of social movement online and connect with customers and activate ambassadors and create this groundswell of brand affinity and, and awareness. And I was like, well, this is clearly where things are going. Why aren't we talking about this? And I ended up pitching the business school on launching a like social media and business course and they wouldn't do it. Um, but then I pitched the computer science department because uh, I had taken a computer science class and I connected with a teacher and and he was like, yeah, definitely. If you design the curriculum, I'm happy to run this as an experiment. And so I helped them build and shape the first social media course and participated in that course, which was an easy A for me because I designed the curriculum. And that became the first social media course at the school. You know, I joined uh, the college union and I helped launch the first blog that the school ever had that's still running today and the first website for the college union. I was organizing social events for the school. So I really started to kind of lean into this world of organizing and community. I ended up getting an internship at Reuter Finn, which is a PR firm in New York for this summer before my senior year. And I got to work in the web department and we would, you know, do things like pitch social strategies and web strategies to organizations like the Metropolitan Museum and really big pharmaceutical companies and things like that, which was like revolutionary at the time to be pitching blogger outreach or web design (laughs) back, you know, this was back in 2008. You know, I started writing about this stuff online. I started a blog under davidspings.com, just kind of writing about what I was learning in the world of social media and business. I was attending a lot of conferences and networking a lot. And uh, a startup ended up reading my blog and uh, reaching out to me while I was a senior in college and said, hey, we need a community manager for the summer while we go through this accelerator program in Philadelphia. Uh, Would you come be our community manager? And that's how I got my first job as a community manager and joined the startup world. I got thrown right into it. Within two weeks after graduating, I moved to Philly and participated in the Dream It Accelerator program, which is like crazy intense. I worked worked my butt off for three months, you know, really trying to build this startup from the ground up and build community for this startup. And, and that's how I kicked off my career building community. So I want to jump into CMX. What was it that inspired you to create CMX? And what is CMX for, uh, for anybody who might not be familiar with it yet? Yeah, so CMX is the largest community of community professionals. We have about 25,000 members across the different spaces and channels that we run. You know, I got that first job as a community manager and, you know, really had to just pave the path for myself because there was no guides on how to do this work. There were no role models to follow. There were no great networks to tap into to learn how to do this work. And so anyone who's building community back then for the for the most part was learning on their own by trial and error. And that's what I did and you know would just share what I was learning as I was learning it. Um, ended up co-founding a website called thecommunitymanager.com with Jen Petey and Brett Petersell. It was a blog where we would write what we were learning and invite others to contribute what they were learning. And we had a job board. Um, and we would do some meetups. That was a really great way to continue to kind of build awareness around community and build up a network and, and an audience around this topic. Um, but for a while, I, I still didn't really 
perceive or want to be perceived or perceive myself as the community person. I still wanted to be an entrepreneur. And in my mind, those two things were different because community was still perceived as very junior level, very misunderstood, not a, a super core part of business, even though, you know, I kind of thought it should be. Um, and so I was like, you know, no, I'm not the community person. I'm just really, I'm passionate about community, but I'm an entrepreneur. That's how I wanted to identify. I, I took on a, a few roles as like director of community at, at startups. I, I did some consulting community and, and I started a couple companies, um, including an online cooking school for a couple of years, which was an interesting startup. Um, and that, that's what I was doing for a couple of years. It was called Feast. Uh, we went through the 500 startups accelerator program. We were batch six, so very early days of 500 startups, and um, tried to raise money and just really struggled to get that startup off the ground. And it was around that time that my friend Max Altschuler uh, came to me and said, hey, I had told him before about the idea for running a conference for the community industry, which is something we had talked about doing as a team. And he said, hey, I know how to run a conference now because he had started Sales Hacker, another conference. And he said, you know, I'll run all the logistics and operations. All you have to do is focus on um, speakers and marketing and let's give it a shot. And, and I said, all right, cool, let's try it. We launched it in, I think it was six weeks from the moment we shook hands to the event happening, six weeks for the first CMX Summit to happen. I emailed a bunch of people that I wanted to speak that I had relationships with and some that I didn't have relationships with. I just cold emailed them. I sent them a one pager about why we were starting this event and why I thought it was so important for community professionals to have a a conference dedicated to them and uh, got a bunch of the speakers to say yes. So we put up a page with their names and and images and started selling tickets. And we still didn't even have a venue. Uh, We didn't have catering. We didn't have anything set up, but we wanted to validate that people would actually come to this event and pay for tickets and, and tickets started selling. And so, you know, once we hit our goal for ticket sales to validate, okay, we're doing this thing, you know, we got all the logistics set up, got the, the venue set up, got catering set up and launched the first event. We had 300 people come to that first event, which was awesome. It definitely packed the room. It wasn't a huge room. They were all people who built community professionally for businesses. And this was the first time they could walk into an event and look around and everyone around them was doing similar work to what they were doing and understood why they did that work. And they didn't have to explain a hundred times over again when they introduced themselves at a marketing conference and say, hey, yeah, I'm a community manager. They didn't have to explain, what does that mean? What does a community manager do? Why is that important? The people around them just understood and they finally felt a sense of belonging and purpose and acceptance that they were that they lacked leading up to that for me that was the moment where I was like oh like I can be an entrepreneur and really lean into community and invest in community and tie my passion to my uh, ambition you know we're about to host our 12th conference in seven years we've got like I mentioned tens of thousands of of members in the community and the community industry has grown exponentially since then and we've become you know a, a lighthouse for anyone who's doing this work what an incredible journey i remember i attended my first cmx summit in 2019 and i just i remember that feeling of you know like getting there and feeling like i belong and that i'm surrounded by my people 
which, you know, like I, I've never been to something like that. I've never been in a room with so many other people doing similar work to me. So it was really incredible. And I can I can definitely relate to that feeling that you had at that first event. Um, was there something really like magical that happened, like maybe at like that first event or one of the really early ones that that you still remember to this day, like a connection that was made or maybe like looking out at the audience and like seeing people's reactions? When I think back to it, the whole experience just kind of feels ephemeral, like this fuzzy, warm feeling. It was just like, um, I don't know, for anyone who's ever like had a wedding or you know a really meaningful event the whole day kind of just feels like this warm glow and that that's kind of how i felt at that event every event even the ninth or tenth one just like feels the same way of just being surrounded by people that i really enjoy spending time with and just seeing people that i know that didn't know each other before talk to each other and hit it off and the most rewarding things for me are are kind of what happens in the follow-up where someone will come to me and say, you know, I came to your event in 2015 and it changed the trajectory of my life and my career. It showed me that I could have a path in community or I met someone who ended up becoming, you know, my boss and I ended up working with them and I owe it all to CMX for making that connection. It's like hearing about how those events led to significant change in a positive way in people's lives is that's that's like the thing that keeps me going and keeps me doing this work yeah i can totally relate it's you know it's very similar with fuck up nights like some of the stories that i've heard you know people finding co-founders ironically at an event all about fucking up uh there's yeah. a, there's a couple that actually came out of at, uh, from yes. one of our events which is incredible people finding new jobs people quitting their jobs to start businesses it's it's really amazing and it's those stories that that really keep you going on the flip side of that, you know, the all the positivity and, you know, the amazing growth that the community has had, was there ever sort of like a, a dark side to it or, you know, like a, a time where you felt like maybe giving up on it? Yeah, there are many points where I felt like giving up, you know, usually because we were a bootstrap company for five years. Uh, we were acquired in 2019 by Bevy, but before that, it was all bootstrapped. We never raised a cent. And so all of the money came from ticket sales, sponsorships, selling trainings. And we we're doing that in an industry that was still very nascent. You know, for people who are joining the community industry today, it feels wholly different than it did even just three years ago, let alone five or seven years ago. It was like pulling teeth at first to get companies to care, to get sponsors to invest, to get companies to just pay for a three to $500 ticket for someone to go to a conference on community because the community manager was still perceived as like this junior low-level person. So companies weren't really investing in their career growth and their professional development. And so it very much felt like a, a big uphill battle to build CMX as a business and keep it growing and sustained. And there are certainly points where it was just exhausting and felt really hard. And um, knowing the full vision that I had for the community and for the industry and just not feeling like we can get there fast enough, um, taking a lot of financial risk myself, uh, in order to keep things going. And so, yeah, there was a lot of pressure like that and a lot of points where just like, is this even worth it? Should I keep doing this or just, you know, throw in the towel? We had a lot of impact. We did a lot of good things for people. Maybe it's time to try something else. 
For sure. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, you know, a lot of people when they see like a really successful event or conference or, you know, an incredible massive community, they don't really think about what goes in behind the scenes and how this thing is actually sustainable. So thank you for being so open with that. How did you end up growing your team? Like, when did you make your first hire? It was just me and Max for a while. And then uh, our first hire would have been Carrie Jones, who we first hired as a contractor to work on content with us. And then she grew and, and ended up doing a lot of work with CMX. Uh, she ended up joining full time, um, I believe starting off as like the, the head of content and then eventually became uh, a founding partner and COO for CMX. The biggest a team was ever was uh, four people. So it never got huge and we've had people come and go, but you know we, we would hire people to run events. Um, actually Max, ended up uh, parting ways with CMX after the first year because Sales Hacker was also doing so well that he was now essentially running two businesses and his time was getting so split and he couldn't really focus as much as he wanted to. And so um, he ended up switching his full-time focus over to Sales Hacker. And so I became the solo kind of founder of of CMX from that point on. and And that's where like, having Carrie come into the team was huge and, and taking on that COO role and handling operations. Um, we hired community managers. We hired Evan Hamilton, who's now leading community at Reddit. He he ran CMX Summit for a while. Erica McGivillray, uh, she ran community and uh, the conference for a while for CMX. So um, we've had a lot of really incredible people come and contribute at different times over the course of CMX. So I want to chat about the Bevy acquisition of CMX. How did that come about and how did you decide that that was the right thing to do and the the right next step for CMX? The Bevy acquisition came for a few reasons. Um, One, we were already working very closely with Bevy. We were already partners. We were using Bevy to power uh, CMX Connect, our, our local uh, event program, which at that time was called CMX Series. So we were using it. Um, Bevy started sponsoring uh, CMX events. I think that all came because I had invited Derek, the CEO, to speak at CMX Summit about Startup Grind. And when he came to CMX Summit, uh, he talks about this and he wrote the forward for the book. And he, he talks about like how he came to that event and had that same experience that you know you had and a lot of other attendees of like, oh my God, there's a room full of people who are doing what we do and understand community-driven business and and it was around the time where I, I think he was starting to really build up Bevy as its own product that wasn't just what Startup Grind was using. And so we became close, started partnering. He and I would start to, we would meet up. I think it was like once a month, we were just getting together for coffee and I would kind of give him advice on the community industry and what I was seeing. And he would give me advice on how to build a community driven business with CMX because he had that experience with Startup Grind. And we would, you know, have very candid founder to founder conversations and I would talk to him about like, the struggles of bootstrapping and we're still trying to figure out how to sustain our, ourselves financially and 
Um, and Derek was like a huge, huge supporter. I mean, I remember he, at one point, I don't know if I've ever told this story before, but at one point he just said, look, we're, we're, I'm just going to give you $10,000 um, as like a sponsor and there's no strings attached. Like whatever you want to do, we just really want to see CMX succeed and we want to be involved. And, and that like, I've never had that happen in my life with any partner, with any sponsor. And it was just a testament to how Derek does business and how he tries to support people and, and the people that he really wants to work with. At one point, it was Derek who first suggested, he was like, well, hey man, like what would it look like if we became you know, fully integrated partners and actually teamed up. At first, I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you start a company, you have this dream of like taking it huge and, and it being self-sustaining. But, you know, we, we would keep talking about it and, I'm like, and it just it started to make more and more sense because, you know, his take was, look, Bevy needs to practice what it preaches and build community and build its chapter program. And you know what what it doesn't make sense for us to recreate the wheel that you've already built and the amazing community built with CMX and for CMX it's like we have this incredibly big vision and mission and we feel uh, very resource constrained often and so it could be a huge win-win if if we teamed up and we spent a lot of time hours and hours and hours over weeks just going through like different scenarios and aligning on values and mission i met with bevy's investors i met with uh, all the bevy founders and team and we just had a lot of hard conversations and everything checked out we felt really aligned in, in mission and values in our expectations of each other uh, we were clear on unknowns and what felt risky we talked about what would happen in worst case scenarios and um, and then we brought it to the CMX community as well. And I was transparent with them and asked the community straight up, like, how would you all feel about this? What would it change about how you perceive CMX? Uh, what would you be worried about? And got on calls with a lot of our most loyal members and talked to them directly. And at the end of the day, it was like, all right, this seems like it's the clear right choice for the community, for the industry, for our team. And we, we pulled the trigger. And, you know, I can honestly say it's it's far exceeded, I think, both of our expectations. And while there's certainly points where we're still navigating, like, how to integrate brands and how to align on things. And <laughs> you and I, Marsha, have these conversations internally a lot. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's done everything we wanted it to in terms of CMX, getting the resources it needs to really accelerate its growth and, and maximize its impact for the industry. And, and it's brought a great deal of thought leadership and expertise and awareness and trust and, and a great example of community building to, to Bevy. And so uh, I think we're both extremely happy with the results so far. It's so amazing. Like, first of all, congratulations on that. You know, it's it's not every community that that gets to have this kind of success journey and to be acquired and to have such a natural fit. So can you tell me a little bit about the CMX Connect program? How did this come about and how has it um, grown and evolved over the last couple of years? CMX Connect is our local chapter program where members of the CMX community who live anywhere in the world can apply to be a CMX Connect host and and uh, essentially launch a chapter for their local community. Uh, we have over 60 chapters around the world and it's growing very quickly. Um, I believe we're in uh, every continent except Antarctica. We'll get that one soon. It's kind of like our biggest long-term program for the community industry because it's basically saying wherever 
different regions are in their community industry journey. You know, when we started CMX, community was still very nascent in the U.S. and and CMX, I hope, played a critical role in establishing it and giving the people who did that work a place to come together, to feel supported, to feel connected and not feel alone. And right now there are community managers all over the world who don't have that network and probably do feel isolated and not supported and misunderstood. And so the idea is, what if there was a local hub, a local lighthouse for people all over the world to be able to find other community professionals, to advance the community industry on a local level, to bring better training and education and standards to their to their local communities. And the only way that's going to be possible for us to do is by taking a community-driven apo- approach and empowering our community members to self-organize. And so that's what we've done. Um, It's not the first time we've tried to do this. Like I said, it used to be called CMX Series. And frankly, we really struggled to get it off the ground and make it successful. It took having the right person leading it. So um, massive, massive, massive props to Beth McIntyre, who has led this program since CMX Connect was rebranded and relaunched as CMX Connect and really shaped it, shaped the culture, has just been an incredible servant leader to all of our hosts and um, can't speak highly enough of the work she did to get this program off the ground and really roll up her sleeves and, and make it work. And, and frankly, because of Bevy. I'm absolutely in awe of, of Beth and her work with the program and you know how far she's been able to take it. And incredible that you were able to really empower her to be able to like run with it and really make it her own. How do you find those right leaders? Like, Are there certain values or traits that you look for in these people? I mean, they have to align with CMX values. Um, everyone has to apply. Uh, so they have to go through an application, which isn't like super rigorous, but it's not just like your name and email. You have to answer some questions and speak to your motivations and why it's important to you. So that on its own is a filter because if you're just doing it for a very shallow reason or you're not really invested, maybe you won't fill out the application in the first place. And then Beth interviews uh, each one. I think you look for a couple of things. One is that value alignment. So do they embody the values of the community? Two is do they have a genuine motivation uh, that that's authentic? So if we find somebody who's just trying to like sell a software product, they're probably not the best fit. We want their motivation to be very a community focus, like a passion for supporting the other community professionals in their region and advancing the industry. We, of course, want them to get other practical value out of it for their careers and their work, but we want the primary motivation to be you know, a genuine passion for helping others in the industry. And then third, we look for their actual skills and resources. Um, and a lot of our chapters are run by teams, so you don't have to be able to be good at everything, but you need to be able to be good at one of the critical things for running a chapter like this, which will either be, you know, people with great networks or great ability to market the event and reach people and grow the events, or, you know, a great operational skill set who can manage the operations of the event and set up logistics for events and work with partners and vendors. Um, so making sure that they have the skills and resources that will set them up for success as well. Mm-hmm. 
So I want to jump into the business of belonging. Um, congratulations on publishing your first book. It's so, so exciting. What inspired you to write the business of belonging and why now? Like, why was this the right time for, for you to finally put it out there? <laughs> the timing was a little lucky because I've been wanting to write this book for probably over five years. I've been actively thinking about it. I've probably been writing it for three years. I, I would just start, you know, I've written a couple drafts that never saw the light of day. Um, and then it was only in the last year or so, it was January of last year that I wrote it as like my goal for the year was to get published and made it a priority and I ended up getting the book deal. And um, so I've been wanting to write it for a very long time. Lucky that the timing is coming at a time where I think the industry is really ex exploding right now. So I think it worked out really well. Why did I want to write it? I, I, frankly, I just, I really, I do this work because I love seeing other people understand community better than they did before because of some framework that our team has developed or a workshop that I teach. I love seeing that aha moment that clicks for someone and seeing them move forward with a lot more confidence as a, as a result in, in building their communities and, and being valued in their companies as community builders. And so I wrote this book to make the path easier for every business who wants to invest in community and anyone who wants to become a community professional. Basically, it's like the book I wish I had 13 years ago when I started that just gives you a playbook, metrics, a guide, a way to structure your strategy, a way to structure your day, uh, the in the weeds little tips and tricks that I've picked up over the years. Just It's kind of a collection of everything I've learned and all the core frameworks that we've developed at CMX into one hopefully very readable, uh, relatable guide. So cool. I'm so excited to read it. So I want to get some of your advice for companies and for community creators. Um, one of the reasons why I started my podcast was just like seeing the word community kind of being mystified. And, you know, like you see like a random business, like an underwear business saying like, join our community. And then you click on the <laughs> link and it's just like their email list or like yeah. following them on Instagram. So I really wanted to like define it and actually understand what it is. But I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Do you think that every business should have a community? Like should all businesses have one? Yeah, because all businesses are made of people and you can't have people without community. It's you can't separate one from the other. You know, you see companies today that are trying to like eliminate uh, committees within their company and limit it to just like no political speech. And it's just like they're trying to take the human out of the business. And it's just not possible. Businesses are made of people. And so, you know, no matter what company you are, you have at the very least employees who your business is a major part of their identity and their life and their income and their profession. And so there's always an opportunity to invest in community on an internal level, 100% of the time. Now, you know, then you have customers. So like an underwear company, sure. Like, are you gonna be super passionate about that underwear? Maybe, right? Like maybe they come up with a really great brand and, and um, it's just like the absolute most comfortable pair of underwear ever. You know, you have, you have companies who make period underwear for women and that's like actually draws people together because it felt 
you know, weird to men and, but women really celebrate it. And like, this is awesome. You're finally seeing us and building products for us. So it doesn't have to be about the product. It could be about your, your message, your mission, your values. Um, you can zoom out and make it about your category as a whole. So there's always an opportunity to build community and give people a sense of belonging, of feeling like they're a part of something, of feeling like there's a space for them that speaks to them that didn't exist before, that they were looking for. I I think every company has that opportunity. I really think so too. I think it's just about doing it the right way and actually creating a community and understanding the difference between community and audience, whereas where I think like some companies still go wrong. But yeah, that's I, I like that example of the period underwear, isn't it? Um, I believe it's Radha Agrawal or, or maybe her sister, yeah. like one of one of the best community builders out there that, that has a company specifically around that. And there's a great community around that. You know, I think every audience is a potential community. Like if you're if you're calling it a community and you're leaving it at the depth of an audience, then I think that's misleading. But even if someone's like, hey, join our community, the first step is just sign up for our email and then we'll take it from there. I think that's okay too, right? Because you don't want to say like, welcome to our community, start hosting events and become an ambassador. That's, you know, if you you go back to the commitment curve as a tool I share in the book, you don't want to ask for too big of an action while their commitment's still low. So you can say like, just get set up, sign up with your profile, subscribe to the newsletter, and that way you can start learning about the community and we'll tell you about what our members are doing and share content with you. And then when you're ready, then you could join the forum, then you can attend an event. Maybe eventually you do become an ambassador. So, you know, I, I do think we get a little stuck sometimes and trying to define community and claim like a group is a community or not a community. I really like that approach. That's uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, just because you are starting out with an with an audience doesn't mean that it can't be turned into a community. That's a, that's a really great way of looking at it. So I think the community industry right now is having a huge moment. There's so much attention on it. There's there's so many tools coming out. There's people being promoted and really like there's there's such a light kind of like that's being shined on it right now. What do you think are going to be some of the biggest challenges for the community industry in the next couple of years? It's having its heyday right now. You know, first rounds report that 80% of startups are investing in community, 28% consider it to be their moat and critical to their success. Our own research with the community industry report found 86% consider community to be critical to their company's mission right now. So, you know, we're seeing articles on TechCrunch about the CMO, the chief community officer being the new CMO. So it's it's got its moment in the spotlight, which is exciting and surreal and scary for me as someone who's been like saying this is going to happen for 13 years, but like, you know, in the back of my mind being like, I really hope it happens, but um, it's happening and it's pretty cool. I think the biggest risk is that it becomes, you know, it's a flash in the pan. It's the hot thing for the next year or two. And then everyone moves on to the next hot thing and they stop investing in community because community didn't establish itself as a critical measurable part of business that deserves a seat at the table. And so that's what needs to happen now is, and and that's why I think the book's actually coming out at the perfect time and the premise of the business of belonging, taking belonging, taking community, taking this passion we have and understanding how to make it work in the business world means understanding what impact does this community have on the business? What systems and tools and operations do we need to have in place to be able to manage it at scale measure it at scale and connect community data back to our customer and sales data so that we can actually show how community is helping our business grow. 
That's what's going to help community professionals move up the ladder. We are seeing more VPs of community now. We're seeing more chief community officers now. I think that's going to continue to grow. But for that to have staying power and for the chief community officer to become a staple in business the same way the CMO is today, which, by the way, is only about 30 years old. The CMO role is very new. So while it feels weird for the CCO, the chief community officer, to be a role, it can absolutely happen, but we need to really understand how to speak about community in the context of business and tie it back to real business value. For sure. I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges that community professionals face is really like getting better at, at measuring the business impact of their community and their efforts. So that's, that's really amazing. Um, they're really going to learn a lot from the book. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's so fascinating how people who've built massive professional communities actually navigate um, their personal communities. So what are some communities that you're part of outside of CMX and why are they meaningful to you? <laughs> you know, I joke around, uh, it's not maybe not even a joke. I think it's just part of the reality is that a lot of community builders don't participate in other communities yeah, so because true. we're just so drained by managing community that the idea of joining another one is, um, is really tough right now. Frankly, not, not a lot of other communities. I, I, I feel very invested in my like innermost circle right now, having just had a baby, um, you know, I spend, I spend 90% of my time with my wife and my baby. I have a very great close group of friends um, that that are like family, that uh, we, we see each other every weekend. Um, and, you know, I, I don't currently feel a need to like need to meet a whole lot of new people. I'm just really enjoying spending time with with my inner circle. Family's in New York and I'm in San Francisco, so um, I, I speak to them through uh, FaceTime or uh, through video calls, but we do a lot of that, especially because of the baby. Um, so I, I spend a lot of my time in, in those kind of closer knit circles, and I don't think I actually participate in too many really big, broad communities. I guess Twitter would be my big, broad community. Twitter is actually a pretty special network for me, and I have a lot of very close relationships that I, I mostly interact with via Twitter. Super cool. Yeah, I feel like you really have to go kind of all in on on one social platform. And I, I love following you on Twitter. You do like you have so many great insights on there. And I could see it actually does feel like a community on there because it's, you know, the people people are really interacting with you there. So you mentioned um, that you have sort of like an inner circle of people. I'm curious, how do you choose those people? Like, do you feel like you look for certain qualities for people that you sort of let into your inner circle? Or is it something that kind of happens more organically? I think the qualities end up becoming a, an organic filter. I think if if I get to know someone that doesn't really align on values and and lifestyle and I don't you know, genuinely enjoy spending time with, I'll either like stop trying to develop that relationship and invest in it and cut it. Um, I, I generally don't cut relationships unless they really blow up. Um, I, I, I'm pretty good at maintaining a lot of weak ties. It's an interesting thing for my life because I think like my biggest struggle and, and, and frankly trauma from childhood was never really feeling like I found an inner circle at a lot of 
lose connections. I would sometimes form really deep one-on-one connections with someone and then it would kind of blow up. And often when we were kids, you know, it would kind of flip into them being really horrible to me in a lot of ways. And so that was, that was really hard. And I think probably shapes a lot of who I am today. You know, college was where I really started to feel like I could form more intimate relationships um, and, and, and feel very included to the extent that like with people that would like do anything for me and I do anything for them and I don't actually have a fear that they're just going to cut me out of their life at some point. And my, my group of friends now, actually, I, I came to very luckily when I, I was, I was running community for a company called Zarly. I was running our New York office. We decided to move everyone out to San Francisco. So they moved me out to San Francisco and I found an apartment on Craigslist and I went and I interviewed and the people there seemed cool and that like people that I liked. And so I moved in and I got a room there. Um, I ended up getting fired from Zarly a, a month later after they moved me out to San Francisco. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> luckily I already had an apartment and I was, I was set with a living situation. I just spent about three months crying and moping around and being extremely depressed. So almost ruined those friendships. <laughs> but those people who I moved in with ended up becoming some of my closest friends in the world. I think like what I saw when I first interviewed at that apartment and what I saw when I got to know them was like a very close alignment in values in parts of our identity. A lot of us are Jews. I don't know if that is, that's, that's definitely a thing. For Um, sure. Yeah. That's that's part of your community. (laughs) Um, A lot of us are Jews and immigrants. Like um, two of my good friends are from Russia. We're born in Russia and Belarus and, and then moved to the U S. So there, I feel like there are just a lot of things that we aligned on and identity and values in what's important to us in our, um, we're all very ambitious and hardworking in our, in our careers, even though we're not all in the same career. We're not all in tech. One's a lawyer, one's in nonprofits. Some of us work in tech. So, um, I, I feel just extremely grateful, especially given my history of um, struggling w- with finding groups. That's amazing. And yeah, I was going to say, like, I think having some of those traumatic experiences or, you know, just feeling like you don't belong at some point in your life, it makes you appreciate it so much more when you actually do find your community and you find your people. So I'm, I'm so happy to hear that, that you have that. Thanks. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? I think community to me is finding a group of people where you can not just be your, your full true self, but also discover your full true self. I love that. That's such a great definition. And it's so funny. This question always stumps everybody, but I, I love hearing the answers. Awesome. David, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm so glad that we were finally able to have this conversation. Me too. Like all things, it happens at the perfect time. So I'm sure this will be the perfect time for someone at some time needed to happen now. I think so too. I really believe in that. I had such a great time chatting with David, and I hope you felt inspired by the conversation. The best place to connect with David is on Twitter, at David Spinks. To learn more about CMX and to join the community, visit cmxhub.com. I'm also going to link David's book, The Business of Belonging, in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. 
You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.